It's Thursday, August 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Seth Jason. Good to see you, my friend. It's been a long time since I rocked and rolled on the, one of these microphones. <laughs> uh, we are wrapping up Strategy Week. Strategery. Strategery. I prefer to call it Strategery. <laughs> Strategery Week. Uh, I, I thought it would be great to talk small cap investing because that's what you do at Motley Fool Hidden Gems. And Nobody it, likes those. No, except for us. Except for you guys. Um, for, uh, this is maybe not the best way to start, but I will start here. Technical question: What defines a small cap? Because it seems like there's a sliding scale. But is it? it, it we're talking about market cap here. Is it a minimum of five hundred million up to two billion? Where, where, you where need do you to give a bit of the Bill Clinton answer. It depends on what you mean by is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it depends on what you mean by small. We tend to define it at hidden gems somewhere between about two hundred fifty million. Million and two and a half billion. Although we will go uh, higher than two and a half billion if we need to, if we think the uh, if we think the proportion of the company uh, to its potential is still small. Uh, to give you an example, we uh, I recommended TripAdvisor not long ago. It was already what three and a half billion dollar company or something, but it's what doubled or almost tripled since then. So not so bad. I think we put it on the scorecard around. Uh, you know, high twenties, low thirties, and it's trading around eighty bucks a share these days, or close to it. So, uh, you know, if the market opportunity is huge. Three and a half billion can be small. Well, that that goes to a question I was going to get to eventually, but you've just touched on it, and that is the whole notion of: Are you automatically when you buy something thinking in terms of an exit strategy? I talked with Ron Gross about. Uh, the whole notion of value stocks, and if you're in a, one of the things I asked him was, look, if you're a value investor and you're and you're thinking that way, is part of your thesis does does part of your thesis include an exit price? And so my question for you is, are you fondling the ripcord the entire time? <laughs> waiting? To go, oh, yeah, exactly. No, but I was thinking it does. It depends do, do on you, the on the company, and yeah. and so with at hidden gems with our sort of one rule being small caps more or less we are free to take a varied approach to that so in other words at some point we will buy something because it looks cheap and we figure at a certain price we will have gotten about all we need out of it and that's the time that we'll we'll get out so sometimes we take more of a of a fair value approach uh that might be the case with something like a cyclical uh, you know, uh, a company like Terex or something like that that makes heavy equipment. There's a certain price at which we think, okay, we're probably doing about the best we can until the economy, you know, turns over again, as it tends to do once every uh, half decade or so. Yeah. At that point, we're willing to sell a stock like that. But a stock like Under Armour or Chipotle or TripAdvisor our fossil, uh, it's a lot harder to say, okay, uh, we've reached the maximum potential It's reached here. a market cap of $5 billion and therefore we are out because yeah, we it's don't, no longer yeah. a small cap. Yeah, we certainly don't do that. And we also try not to sell companies uh, that have the very long runway in front of them um, because the biggest mistakes we make at Hidden Gems tend to be in selling. So in other words, we tend to give companies especially the small caps that uh, that we have at Hidden Gems, we tend to give them three to five years for things to play out. Sometimes they don't. And if that's the case, by the time we finally get around to saying, all right, things aren't working here, everybody else already despises it more than we do. So even <laughs> if the company is doing really poorly, at the point we tend to get out, uh, they're priced at maximum pessimism, and all they need to do is get a little bit better or maybe to mediocre. 
and that stock would be, you know, a multi-bagger from that point. So uh, having looked back on those kinds of mistakes, we really try to have a don't sell mentality at Hidden Gems uh, because we are not immune to the sort of uh, emotional uh, hurdles that really are the biggest problem for all investors. What are the industries that you personally prefer to look into when you're looking for small caps? Well, we're kind of generalists, so we don't uh, we don't sort of pick and choose. Uh, it's mostly where do I think I'm seeing good deals at this point in time. So uh, that could be, for instance, uh, the oil the oil industry. A few years ago, we put out a special report right when uh, BP was you know lighting the the Gulf on fire. <laughs> And uh, and we picked a lot of companies uh, in a special report and said, listen, everybody's writing off this whole area as if it's never going to come back, and that's just, just not the case. So even though we're not really oil experts and not really even expert in most of the companies that we looked at, we knew enough about them, and most importantly, we knew enough about the overwhelming pessimism to be able to say, hey, I think there's a lot of good deals here. In terms of, uh, and some of those became, you know, official picks in the, the newsletter, too, in addition to just that special report, which was sort of like, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity here. Let's push this out to members and let them, you know, give them a, a choice of eight or 10 stocks. I can't remember how many it was. Otherwise, you know, we tend to look for stocks that have a lot of room for growth. And those tend to be, uh, or they tend for me to come from more consumer facing stocks. Uh, so, you know, a company like Fossil, a company like Under Armour, brands, uh, are really the strangest kind of competitive advantage. Uh, once you have them, they don't, they, they really aren't all that tangible, but they really can last. Think of Wrigley's gum. And once you have an advantage like that, you tend to be able to stomp all over your competitors for years and years and years. Whereas if you find a company that, say, does a very good job making machine tools or something, well, you know what? the brand probably isn't quite so important there. Somebody else comes along and makes a better one or a slightly cheaper one, or think in terms of cell phones or something, and mm -hmm. guess what? Uh, suddenly, uh, your advantage is gone. So we, uh, a lot of our better returns tend to come from consumer-facing companies like that, or even you know restaurants like Chipotle, Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, it's, it's strange. You wouldn't think that's where the opportunity would be, and you don't consider those as hidden so much. But sometimes the companies you've heard of are not fully appreciated by Wall Street, and that's what we really mean by hidden. Well, and I think that speaking of brands, when a brand makes the leap, as a few of them have done, to becoming synonymous with their product, you know, the classic example being Kleenex tissues. Um, I, you mentioned Under Armour. It made me think of one of my nephews who lives up in Boston. He's in high school. He and his friends, they refer to athletic wear as Under Armour. Yeah. So it's so that that just sort of and I don't own shares of the stock but it was one of those things I remember last Thanksgiving hearing him talking with one of his friends like yeah let me go upstairs and grab an Under Armour yeah. cuz it's a little chilly outside and I just thought my gosh. Yeah, and you know I'm a crusty uh a crusty old man and I've been running for years and I've been wearing wicking clothes, you know, long long before uh Kevin Plank sort of took the idea and started to make it popular and turned it into Under Armour. And so for a long time, I was pretty skeptical about Under Armour. And then I just said, you know, there's a certain point where you say to yourself, 
I'm just hopping on the train. If these if these folks at Under Armour are selling the same thing that a lot of other people are with a slight tweak, but they're making a little bit better or the perception is that it's better, then you go with them. And they've grown into a juggernaut uh, that way. And they've also done a great job, it's Under Armour in particular, has done a great job of expanding into related or even what you would have in the past considered unrelated categories. So you can go to the Under Armour site and there's all this crazy hunting gear and it's sold with these really grainy black and white pictures of dudes in camouflage carrying around dead animals and stuff. They sell (laughs) boots and hats and stuff. You never would have expected that at the beginning. But because of the way they've kind of built their business, they kind of push around the edges and and, and sort of earn permission in new places or new spaces before, you know, kind of launching. So they started with compression shirts for college football players, pretty much. Hey, this is better than a T-shirt. It doesn't sand your nipples off, when you know. And and they went from One there. of those benefits you don't necessarily think about when you're signing up for Pop Warner football as yes. a kid. And, uh, and Chris and I know all about that from our distance running, where it's a lot worse even. And they moved from there. And so so running. Running wasn't an Under Armour thing. They actually sell a ton of running apparel. I mostly see women wearing it, but they sell a lot of apparel into running. And now they've kind of pushed into shoes. They sort of tried, failed, tried, failed, tried, failed. And now they're getting a little bit of traction with their shoes. They had done it previously with baseball, basketball, um, soccer boots. They, they take, uh, you know, they do what a small cap company, even though they're they're much larger than a small cap now, but they do what they they have to do. So to compete against Nike, you don't just try and go out and t- hire a Tiger Woods. You you partner with a well-known team in a foreign country that nobody else is going to bother with, and suddenly people over there, or a college team here in the States, suddenly you sort of grow like, you know, kind of like little, little colonies in a Petri dish. You grow from all these yeah. little places. And you spread because you start to spread this goodwill. Hey, wait a minute. Under Armour's paying attention to us. Nike has never done anything for us. Right. And suddenly you're Under Armour and you're synonymous with wicking clothes. Uh, Given the run of the market of late and particularly so far in 2013, is it harder to find small caps if you see the market just on the rise? Is is your It's always, yeah. And I'm, I'm not making a play for sympathy for you here, but I am wondering, though, is it harder to find good small cap opportunities when the market is rising. It always feels that way. Uh, the trouble is that stocks are going up right now, not really for bad reasons. I mean, some of the multiples have expanded and some people might consider that a bad reason. But a lot of companies, uh, and especially some of the, the small caps we have, have just been doing a fantastic job all throughout the financial crisis and the aftermath. And their earnings uh, power has been growing. You know, their margins have gotten better. Um, they've found uh, better ways to be more efficient. And now that the economy is slowly getting a little bit better, you know, they just keep climbing. So um, one of the things we do at Hidden Gems is we've always said you kind of need to buy a stock or two every month, or at least a piece of a position in these stocks every month. And the reason we do that is it takes away a lot of the – Again, the emotion, it take, it means that you don't sit around and say, everything looks expensive. I'm going to hold off for six months, wait for the market to come back. People have been telling you to do that for three years. And in the meantime, we've got stocks doubling and tripling over that period uh, because the companies are actually doing quite well. Um, I'll get you out of here on this. Where are you looking these days? Um, do you find yourself gravitating towards retail as we head into back-to-school season and then a few months down the line, the holiday season? Or are there other industries that you're 
checking out, kicking the tires I never really start kind of with a sector. I start by looking at a watch list uh, that we keep at Hidden Gems where some of our analysts uh, put promising companies on there, and I'll look back and take a look at how those have done. I run several screens for companies that uh, basically try and show sort of who's who's surprising uh, everybody, uh, who's who's growing at abnormally good rates, uh, even in this environment. Or I will look, you know, for stuff that uh, where we've got maybe a panic. We don't have a lot of those right now, but you can you can pick up some fairly good stocks by by looking at what everybody really dislikes, what everybody hates. So I would say that I don't approach it from a from a sector standpoint. I kind of use my go to screens and my my go to sources, and then start sifting from there. All right, Seth Jason from Hidden Gems. Thanks for being here, my friend. Thank you for having me. Just a reminder, we are off next week. So wherever you are, enjoy the last week of August. We'll be back. Don't worry, our dozens of listeners. We will be back after Labor Day weekend. Tuesday the 3rd, we'll be here. Until then, hope you enjoyed Strategy Week. Uh, drop us an email, radio at fool.com. Send us a message on the Twitter. Let us know. And, uh, and maybe we'll do this again. Or if it's a, a horrible failure... Because uh, Tim Hansen suggested we get T-shirts made up, like Shark Week, maybe some strategy T-shirt week, strategy week T-shirts. <laughs> I can see several uh, crates of those in the back room that, <laughs> that just aren't moving at all. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you on Tuesday, September third.